Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Tyler Coltman, joined by my brother Braden Tyler Coltman. And Elliot is uh, he is not with us tonight. Braden is celebrating his grandfather's 90th birthday. What an accomplishment, especially on this family day long weekend here for Western Canada. Uh, I think if you're out east, it's like Louis Real Day in Montreal, or pardon me, in, in Manitoba and uh islander day i guess on prince edward island but uh happy fam- family day to all of those albertans and british columbians and ontario uh, on- what is someone from ontario called uh an ontarian an ontarioite and right. ontarian i'm not too Something sure like yeah i don't um, know either somebody happy, hit us happy up birthday. on twitter happy birthday grampy tanty i hope that's what they call him well, I don't know if it's on the Tanty side of the family line. Oh yeah, right. Side. <laughs> Regardless, I hope when Tanty. Elliot, I hope when Elliot is a grandfather, they call him Grampy Tanty. Uh, all right, here's the deal. So it's just you and me. Uh, we haven't done one of these shows with just the two of us in a little while. I've done a few with Elliot, so uh, we'll see how this goes. Before we get started, though, Braden, we are going to talk about the Olympics. And I just, I don't know if you saw this one story that I wanted to lead with because it was a great lead-in. Um, one of the last events traditionally held. Uh, in the summer games is always the marathon. The equivalent of that in the winter Olympics is the 50K mass start um, uh, cross-country skiing event. It's the long one. But there is a blizzard right now in Beijing. Uh, and so they cut it down to only a 30K race just out of concern for the athletes. Because I don't know if you've seen um, cross-country skiers, but they don't wear a lot of clothing. And that uh, was of great disadvantage to uh, Finland's Remy Lindholm, who unfortunately reached the end of the race and needed a warming pad for a very sensitive part of his body. Uh, he he did in fact freeze his penis during the 30K mass start. And uh, he described wow. it suggesting that thawing it out was unbearably painful. Wow. So, so- uh, he's having a worse day than you or me. And I think we should just leave it right there. Let's get to it. This is topic one. <laughs> oh my God. All right. So uh, I teased off the top there that we were going to start with the Olympics. Uh, I don't think we need to spend too much time uh, talking about the appendages of, of Finnish uh, cross-country skiers. But we do have a lot of interesting storylines that came out of the Olympics. Obviously, Elliot and I had a... Uh, you know, a, a good debate about the relevance of the Olympics uh, and certainly also the, the morality and the political uh, elements of the these Olympics in, in China. And, you know, that that that's all very true and very much a part of it. Um, we talked last week a little bit, too, about sort of where where we were halfway through the games. We've now reached the conclusion of the games. Um, would you agree with me that it felt like this games was somewhat subdued and, and, and felt a little bit kind of like we are seeing a, a bit of a, I don't know, like a shift in the importance that um, in Canada, at least right now, that the Olympics seems to, 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 to hold? Did you feel that way throughout these games? Uh, I think there was a level of subduedness in just the nature of coming out of COVID. There was a lot of feeling like, oh, here we are and this is, you know, what are they going to do? Uh, what are the athletes going to be like? Has there been a, a uh, you know, a decline in abilities? And I don't know necessarily if I would say it's been fully subdued. I think we saw some incredible engagement on the Canadian side for the, the women's hockey team. There was a lot of excitement around that following. I think it always, the storylines kind of uh, changed depending on, uh, depending on the kind of success that, each uh, each sport has and the 
um, you know, I, I remember back in, I think it was 2010, it might've been the, the Olympic after, but Alex Bilodeau, the, the, what do you call it? Mogul skier. There was like, a, there was a lot of excitement around that. Or, or you think back to some of the, um, the figure skaters. And I think there's, um, that it really just kind of changes with one, like what kind of sport you were really engaged by, but also, uh, what, yeah, what narratives? And I think there were some interesting narratives that followed this uh, this Olympics that we haven't really seen before. And there was excitement, but ultimately it didn't, yeah, it still didn't captivate me the way that it has uh, has in the past. I don't know. What about you? No, I agree. I think that, you know, I, I think that leading into um, the Olympics, it kind of felt like, oh, this is happening. And um, I, I don't know if there was, like you said, there wasn't really this sort of anticipation or buildup. Obviously, I think that, you know, that's hurt winter games wise by the non-inclusion of the NHL players. That's certainly yeah. in Canada, a big sort of attention drawing thing, which is always yeah. true. Um, I do know that, like I said to Elliot, you know, I still... I find I have very little trouble separating the politics of the Olympics from the athletes in the Olympics. Uh, for the most part, I, I feel like I want to give the, well, like I, I feel like I don't want to punish the hard work of mostly amateur athletes and their sacrifice and dedication to pursuing these dreams. Yeah. Um, I don't want to punish them uh, the same, you know, because of the the bureaucracy and the corruption that follows the Olympics as an organization that follows the country in this case, China and all of its huge human rights issues that again, I think are a part of the story and should not be overlooked. But again, for me, I did find myself tuning into specific events because I wanted to cheer on specific athletes or, you know, just at the athletes from in general. And the human interest stories have always been for me, what I find most compelling about the Olympics. I don't think that has changed, but perhaps there was an element of, uh, I don't know, like it did feel a little bit um, different. Let's get to a couple of the big stories. Um, we saw a huge uh, bounce back after a difficult uh, final result in Korea uh, four years ago for the women's hockey team. Um, Canada and the United States, I believe, have played in every gold medal final since Nagano. Uh, these are clearly the dominant uh, nations when it comes to women's hockey, but it is also exciting to see some of these other nations um starting to catch up and compete more aggressively. Finland, um, obviously the Swedes, the major hockey nations you would expect, but it's just nice to see that the like there is not yet parity um, in the women's side, but there's definitely more competitiveness. There was a lot of, um, let's just say, uh, offensive takes early on in these games by some Canadian press, uh, mainly the Toronto star suggesting that why is women's hockey, even in the Olympics, it's not competitive at all. Canada, the United States just win anyway. That's the kind of sexist garbage that follows a sport like this. No one complains about the fact that the German men dominate bobsled. They don't care. There's no, there's no complaining about that, but because it's women's hockey, there's just this complaining about these routes. Look, there's routes. That's what happens sometimes when you do have these nations that are catching up but it's also um, about programs you know like these two countries have worked tirelessly throughout history to ensure that their identity is based around a sport like this and their culture is also based around the you know what that what that is and what that does look at what basketball has grown into it used to be it was you know i don't think that necessarily we can see a uh um, a chant or like a, an Olympic gold medaling Canadian basketball team, but we are definitely in the right route that we've never been in before 
based yeah, on what and, and, kind and of Canadian has. soccer, Canadian men's soccer is demonstrating the same thing exactly. when the resources and the efforts are put in. So obviously Canada wins. It was an exciting game. Did you watch the gold medal game? Yeah, I did. It was, it was, it was excellent. I mean, uh, it really could have gone either way. And I think that once the Canadians started getting their game under them and had America chasing that, uh, you know, they really showed why they are so great and like just great. Uh, there's no one individual. I mean, you could, you could single out um, Sarah nurse or you could single out Poulain or, or uh, Fillier, but really like this team was so um, they, they just played all so well together. Yeah. So the, the other story, I think that will be most defining of these games, I think, you know, over time, specific stories last longer than the, the, the moment of the Olympics. Um, I find it interesting that 20 years ago in Salt Lake, obviously, if you're Canadian, the, the men winning the gold for the first time in 50 years was a huge storyline. You had double gold for the first time. That's huge. Mm-hmm. But the other big story when I say Salt Lake City is the skating scandal, right? right. David Belcher, and- Jamie Slay. Right. And the fact that we and the judge once again, the French judge, yes, found ourselves 20 years later with a skating scandal here in Beijing. So for those who have not followed it, a 15 year old Russian skater, Camilla uh, Vileva, uh, in her very first Olympics, she's a phenom, has been winning every tournament that she's been leading up to these Olympics. She was the odds on favorite for the women's um uh, figure skating uh, gold medal. She she came in as the favorite. Um, after the team event, which is held first in figure skating, uh, she failed a drug test. So she failed uh, a drug test that found in her system a, a heart medication. So she basically, she tested positive for this. She also tested positive for two additional um, drugs, both of which are legal, but all three of them relating to her heart. This is a 15-year-old. Um, what on earth does she need uh, these additional drugs in her system for? Does she have a heart condition? All these kind of questions were coming up. But if one of these is, is illegal in competition. It increases oxygen, blood flow to the heart, obviously performance enhancing as a result. So she fails this drug test. Um, this becomes evident because the team medal ceremony, uh, of which Canada won bronze, I believe, um, was postponed. And there was a lot of question marks. Why wouldn't they hold it as scheduled? And it was because they had to look into this. And then there became this big controversy about the fact that the International Anti-Doping Association, um, uh, the World Anti-Doping Association, WADA, has a policy of not punishing underage athletes for drug transgressions, because they believe that in most of these situations, that athlete is probably not actually making the decisions to take these drugs independently or cannot be held legally responsible for what is in their body. The point being, they could be manipulated, they could be coerced. That's that's mm-hmm. the protection that's there for minors. The same way you don't try minors in adult court for other crimes. That's the rule. However, she's competing with adults and clearly mm-hmm. she has this performance enhancing thing. So this, this obviously becomes a huge scandal and they don't really know what to, to do with this. This is in the early days of the Olympics. They end up deciding to let her compete in the the solo, like as a as a in the women's program, which I, right from then and there, you know, this whole thing's gone tits up, like the whole thing's broken, right? If you're gonna let a an athlete who has tested positive during the Olympics to compete in another event, I mean, where are we, right? Like she is the best skater in the world, but she's clearly doing it broken with an, an enhancement. Yeah. So the issue I think comes down to 
this is a Russian athlete, right? We know following Sochi there that the Russians were caught cheating on mass scales. The Russians do this, right? They dope at the Olympics. They've been stripped of the ability to be called the Russian Olympic, uh, uh, the Russian team at the Olympics. They are now right. called the Russian Olympic committee. They've been punished in all of these very um, sort of, I don't know, uh, like, like un um, concrete ways. They should not be consequential ways. How yeah. is Russia? There's no the consequence, right? They it still compete. Happening. Yeah. So they don't have their, their actual flag logo, but they have a different logo that represents them still. And with their athletes, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Uh, so, so had she meddled, what, what would they have done? I don't know. Well, I that's have no so idea. confusing. And exactly. this is the problem. If, if it's not, you know, if, the, if you can't try this person because she's a minor and yet she's competing with adults or, or other, you know, peers in the field, that, and they're subject to that kind yeah. of consequence or, or then, then it's not an even playing field at yeah. all. No, and a hundred percent. Well, just, yeah, it doesn't like, how does that, that what, what does that say about the IOC and the actual system that, <laughs> that is in place? If, yeah. if it's about, you know, they, they go through the whole, like, you will compete fairly and the, the pledge for the athletes and the pledge for the teams and the coaches and, what we vow to uphold throughout the Olympics. And then you've got this kind of a thing where yeah. they're like, sorry, we can't, we can't prosecute. We can't look into this. And also it's a team that has a history. We know that they do this. Yeah. And I think the really sad part about it, I think as well, is the fact that she's a minor. She's clearly being put into this position. We, the, the president of the IOC came out at his final press conference of the games and was very critical of, her coaches suggesting that, you know, they have video of when she skated off the ice in tears, they were both screaming at her. You know, this is an abusive system. It's an abusive um, program. Clearly what the way the Russians are running their figure skating um, program is in the mid mid ages. Still, this is the old fashioned way of how these Olympic athletes were, were, were sort of treated like animals. I mean, they're literally, she's, she's there to win them a medal at, at all costs and look at what, what it's cost her, cost her. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's just like that. This is, this is exactly the example of how this thing doesn't work. If, if, if you're going to suspend a country for actions that they've taken, uh, you know, that, that go in direct conflict with what the, the Olympics stand for, which is, uh, not doping <laughs> and not and not i mean it's just it's all messed up like and there's and they're winning medals and they're representing their country and so it's yeah. like well what are you actually what did what was the consequence <laughs> well, what did you actually thing. take away and what are clearly they going to learn what are they actually going to learn yeah, from it clearly there wasn't and i think that the worst part about it is that now you like i you know he comes out and says this well sure you can point your fingers at their their coaches or whatever but where's the self reflexivity to suggest that you guys have also set these this girl up for failure because you again you yeah, haven't exactly. punished the organization that's going to take this abuse upon her yeah. and there's no consequences like you said and if there's no consequences bad faith actors are going to continue to do bad things that's just the reality of what this is they know there's no teeth to the punishment and yeah. that's where we get oh to. we don't yeah oh we don't wear our red jerseys uh well that's fine exactly <laughs> they won't notice our russian players are actually still underneath yeah exactly so i guess overall um any last thoughts on the olympics and, um, and sort of where this puts us 
well, where does it put us? It puts us, in, you know, right in line for another chapter of the exact same thing. The, you know, right from the, right from the beginning, the Olympic ceremony, the the opening ceremony itself was lackluster. I, I, you had asked earlier if it was subdued my experience, and ultimately, I I feel like it what it didn't it didn't live up to the hype that I expect of the Olympics. However. There's one athlete that I want to make mention of, uh, and it's the very first and only Estonian snowboarder. I got to pull up her name here. Kelly Soldaru competed this year and I think medaled. I think she, I think she won silver or bronze in, uh, I think it was big air or something. I can't remember exactly, but I had a good time watching, uh, watching the wonder from Estonia. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, we want to wish um, Remy Lindholm a quick and speedy recovery uh, and hope that uh, he and his penis make it home safely to Finland all in one piece. That was gonna be cold. It's going to be even colder when he gets home. Have you ever cross-country skied? No, and now I won't. It's not fun. The Ordinary Podcasting Network is excited to announce that we have launched a merch store on our website. The store is full of ordinary swag, including t-shirts, hoodies, and hats. You can pick out something awesome and support your favorite podcast today by heading over to OrdinaryPodcasts.com. Okay, here's topic two. Uh, we're going to talk basketball. Uh, Braden and Christian do not have an episode this week of the Backyard Basketball Podcast, so we thought we'd talk some hoops here. Uh, the NBA didn't have any actual league games this weekend because they took the weekend off for the All-Star game. Um, we didn't talk at all on this show about the NHL's All-Star game because it was just really a – it just wasn't a lot of fun. The NBA All-Star game, on the other hand, has in the past been a lot of fun. And this year, did it live up to the hype for you, Braden? Uh, half of it did. I think usually the excitement lies in the Saturday night skills competitions, um, shooting competitions, and dunk challenge. That was far from the case this year. Uh, however, the game itself was absolutely uh, tantalizing. There was there was uh, a lot of high flying, some of the craziest dunks, and Steph Curry just absolutely went off. I think had maybe uh, 12, 13 threes in the game. He finished with four, 45 points. Um, just unbelievable. And in front of uh 75 of the best uh nba players of all time he just absolutely put on a show showed why he is uh the best shooter of all time and ultimately won the mvp of this of the all-star game this year yeah steph curry had 50 points was it 50 yeah it says here he had 50 points which is uh by far and away the the most of any player yeah i think the closest player behind him it looks like on team Durant was Joel Embiid at 36. So uh, he, he dominated for sure, especially in a game when, you know, everybody's out there to just, you know, look good, but yeah. Um, have fun. yeah They're out totally. to put on a good show. And, and I, the, the kind of fun thing with, with this game, it ended on a, a last minute. So what they've done recently, for those who don't know, it's not just an all-star game where you get all the best guys and you just have one big fun party, one big fun game, East and West it used to be. They've really kind of innovated the the game so that, uh, one, the, uh, the points, uh, whoever wins each quarter, the points from that go towards uh, charity. 
in terms of how much is, uh, I think it's like, uh, I think it's actually like straight up if you, if however many points you get that equates somehow, somehow to, to a certain amount of money that's donated to charities for each, uh, for each team. And then what they do is instead of just, uh, you've got a timed game, there are three quarters. And then after the three quarters, whatever the score is, they determine that there's like 25 more points to get. So whoever can reach a certain bar or certain number is the winner, which kind of makes it fun so that there's, there's, it adds a level of competition to the game, the, the fun of it that we haven't, I, I, th I think that we need that. I think that the game needs that. And that's exactly what happened. It, so it ended on a, a buzzer beater uh, by LeBron James game happening in Cleveland uh, the hometown boy. And the awesome part of it is that Steph is also from Ohio. Um, so two hometown boys, same team, um, just showing why they're the two best players in the world. Yeah. Looked like a lot of fun. And obviously, as you say, uh, very tight came down to three points at the end there. Um, let's just jump back for a second. You, you, you brushed over and, and, and acknowledged that the Saturday night wasn't a lot of fun. Um, but as you say, like that's become one of the more iconic kind of classic i don't know parts of the an nba sort of season there's a lot of players who you think of um oftentimes you know the dunk contest is one of the biggest parts of the sort of history of their career vince carter you know uh, in the last couple of years aaron gordon although he hasn't been able to win it because of some you know interesting judging um oh my gosh but you know I, even michael day, jordan back in the day right the, yeah. the dunk contest is kind of has always been a prestige thing yep not so much this year, though. No, it was dreadful. It was really boring. And, and here, like, so there was a lot of, there's always a lot of hype. There's always a lot of excitement. You got some of the younger guys coming in who are high flyers. Jalen Green is just a monster dunker. Uh, he, and they just, they get up so high. Like, so there was a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement. There was an interview with Cole Anthony, who uh, was, was competing. And he was talking to Shaq and Chuck before competition and Shaq said to him whatever you do just make your first attempt that happened for no one in this competition and what happens is the it, it, the energy the life the breath just completely leaves the arena and without that kind of build and that kind of anticipation this event sucks and we saw exactly what happens when that goes down like it's unfortunate. These guys want to show off some really exciting things, but they, you got to build it. And I feel like they were just trying to go off with some of the craziest dunks to begin with. It's admirable what they're trying to do, but if, if you're not going to make it, don't, don't do it, man. Like just get something good. And we, we, everybody knows these guys can dunk. So I, I don't know. It's, it's hard. You want to see something new. Obviously you want to see something flashy, but, uh, but don't make it too complicated. And I feel like that's what happened. The other part of this that's, you know, I was saying to you earlier, is like the bar has been set so high. I, still to this day, I have no idea how Aaron Gordon lost that uh, dunk contest against Zach Levine. Zach Levine was doing some really crazy things, but there was no reason for Aaron Gordon to lose that. Uh, and how about we just the next year to Bam on a bio? Again, yeah, no, it shouldn't have. Well, shouldn't he lost, have lost. Because Dwight, Dwayne Wade was a judge and he's a Heat fan. But point being. Well, I mean, there's, yeah, there's absolutely some, some, uh, some subjectivity when it comes to 
how we feel, but in the arena, you should be able to know what, who, yeah. you know, who's got a, just even by the reaction. Right. And uh, just, yeah, this year there was, there was not a lot of hype, not a lot of creativity. That was, I think the most creativity we saw was like uh, Cole Anthony coming out in Timberlands and, and, and his dad's old Knicks Jersey. And he could barely even get off the ground. Like it, it just didn't work this year. There wasn't that kind of flair and excitement. You know where it worked really well that we haven't seen before uh, was the NHL All-Star Skills Comp. This was the first time that we saw another league actually try to do something similar to the creativity that we see in the in the dunk contest. I thought it was a little bit, you know, it's just a little cheesy with, with Jack Hughes and his magic. But there was something about Vegas too that made all that work that, uh that it just it it's really it's hard it's it's a hard thing to do you're asking uh there's a lot of pressure that's involved uh and i just i think this year they just missed the mark and the whole the whole all-star game all the comments anytime there was a dunk was oh that's the best dunk we've seen all weekend (laughs) it's just and it's unfortunate it's really unfortunate because that really is the pinnacle and if they're going to change it, I'm, I'm, they're never, we're never going to see this, but you want to see the best dunkers in the game at that competition. You want to see LeBron, you want to see John Morant. And we know we don't really get that. You know, I think the last time you like Michael Jordan, Vince Carter, these are like two of the best players in the world. And now we're getting Juan Toscano Anderson or a couple rookies. And yeah, it's, it's too bad. Well, uh, the three-point competition was a little bit more fun, just as we round out this topic here. Obviously, we had a big man win it, and uh, that probably surprised some people. Um, Carl Anthony Towns winning that one. Did it surprise you? Uh, uh, yes, because of the, the competition around him, CJ McCollum, Fred Van Vliet. Uh, but again, it's it's a lot of pressure. You're put on the spot. you got to find a rhythm. Uh and cats cats like really gone on this season to prove himself as a shooter and, and a more versatile big man. And he, uh, and he did that. I mean, it's just one competition, but he's been doing it in game as well. And I think that's why we saw him in that competition and uh, props to him. He he's, he's <laughs> well, one, he's been through ab- the absolute ringer with COVID. I think he's lost like a total of, 10 10 plus family members to it like early on his mother passed away and it was just it's just dreadful and he's come out with an absolute uh explosiveness this season and to, to go on to win this i think that's awesome for him it's, it's great to see a big man win something like that well they'll get back to uh games that really matter uh this upcoming week and into the second half of the nba season um, but I guess a nice, a nice little break from, from the regular season for these players and an opportunity to show off some skills, whether they were, uh, uh great or not, especially Oof. the dunk contest, but yeah, the, they had this new competition this year that was, uh, it was like three teams. So they had the Antetokounmpo brothers, um, uh, the rookies, Jalen Green, Scotty Barnes and Cade Cunningham, I think somebody else. There was one other team. Oh, the, the hometown team, the Cleveland Cavaliers. There's three, three all-star teams. And uh, it wasn't this night, but the night before Scotty, um, I mean, everybody's seen it, but Scotty just, it was between Scotty Barnes and I think Darius Garland, or no, it was Tyrese Max. Ah, shoot, I don't remember, but they just could not, it was a shooting competition and they, he just could not hit 
the the like two foot shot in front of him and he missed like four or five times in a row it was absolutely it was just it was you feel so bad when something like that happens because you know that you know this guy can hit these shots but like the rims just making it hard the and then the pressure of it all the embarrassment starts to sink in they came they come off of the bench and they're just sitting on the bench looking at each other like well at least we made everybody laugh right is that why you think though that the best don't go into the dunk contest anymore they're just afraid to fail it's very likely i don't think it's about failing but the pressure is very high and 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 also too because of the subjectivity of it you know, there's been years where certain guys really should have won. DeMar DeRozan should have won. Ty, uh, uh, Terrence Ross should have won. Um, I thought Terrence Ross did win once. Uh, he did win. He did win the second year that he was in the oh, competition. Okay. But okay. Uh, it, it, it's very likely that that's the reason. It's, and maybe they maybe they consider changing the way that it's scored or the way that it's judged, and maybe it's more fan based. Uh, or, you know, or you, you, you do decibel ratings. Like, there's lots of opportunity. And, I mean, the NBA has been really good at, at continuing to innovate and continuing to push and challenge how they um, present each, you know, each all-star competition and, and, and game and weekend and the way they celebrate. I thought they just did an absolutely incredible job this year with their 75th season, uh, really honoring a lot of the players, a lot of the culture, they're just so good at that, I think. And, and uh, well, I thought it went off really well this year. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. That's topic two. Do you or someone you know own a small business? Are you looking to grow or to reach new customers? Hey, why not let us help? Hattrick is looking for unique brands, businesses, and products to advertise on our show. You can find out how we can help spread the word about your business by contacting us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. All right, uh, let's round out this week with uh, a little bit of F1 news. Um, we're getting very close, tantalizingly close to the 2022 F1 season. Um, some big news coming out this week as we get set for um, winter testing here, the 23rd to the 25th of February, so this upcoming week in Barcelona, followed by the second round of testing, which will happen the 10th to 12th in Bahrain leading us uh, the following week into the season opener. Um, Before we jump in, uh, we do have some exciting news to announce here on the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Um, What was a fun little experiment for us last year, uh, we found to be a lot of fun, was the Pit Stop podcast that was part of this show's channel. It's getting its very own feed this upcoming season. We're going to give it some new bells and whistles, including a brand new co-host Tyler Walzak, who joined us at the end of last season has officially signed on to do this full season with us. So what was a two hander becomes another three hander. And we know how much fun that is. Um, so new Brent, front wing, if you will, that's right. A whole new, uh, a whole new formula. So uh, the three of us will have our very first episode of that uh, show on its very own feed coming up uh, uh, sort of middle of March there as we get in, in through testing and prepare for the first week in Bahrain. So you can look forward to that and we'll have all kinds of uh, uh, promos and lead ups to that. So you know where to go and subscribe to it. But um, we wanted to spend a topic here talking about F1 as we're as we get closer and closer uh, and as the anticipation grows, lots of teams starting to unveil their liveries for this year, their, their, you know, what the, what the cars are going to look like. And obviously it's a whole new, a whole new look this season. We finally had one of the most, you know, one of the the most dramatic uh, changes to car design um, since the hybrid era of, you know, 
half a decade ago. And obviously due to COVID, you know, that all the regulation changes and shifts that were planned for 2021 ended up being postponed for an extra year. So we have a whole new, potentially a whole new sort of uh, setup here for, for these teams. And the goal, the hope from the FIA and Formula One is that it will um, create a little more competition, make it easier for these cars to follow and pass and overtake and just increase the competition level. There's a really... Uh, you know, there's just this great anticipation that we could be entering a, a new and exciting era for Formula One. Obviously, as we've talked many times about on the Pit Stop show and even on here that, you know, I think Formula One as a sport has grown so dramatically um, in the last couple of years and certainly in North America after the success of Drive to Survive on Netflix and, and, and just sort of this this new energy that is surrounding, you know, a, a very um uh, no, not an old sport, but a sport with such a rich history that people are finding for the first time. I mean, that's why we have a podcast about it. We're excited about it. So um, anyway, that's, that's sort of the, the, the overview. Let's talk really quickly about the news that came out this week. And it, it kind of shook up the F1 world a little bit. We kind of knew it was coming, but not quite the way it did. So obviously following the very controversial season finale last year in um Abu Dhabi, where we had Lewis Hamilton leading what would have been a championship clinching race uh, all the way through until the last four or five laps when uh, following a couple crashes and some incidents, uh, safety cars were deployed. And then obviously most people by this point know what happened. The, the safety car protocol was not followed as per the rules. Michael Massey, the race director, made some decisions to uh, allow the the race to, to finish with only a few cars overtaking Lewis and you know, reducing and then removing the gap between his championship uh, challenger and Max Verstappen. It became a two-person race at the end, Max on brand new fresh tires, Lewis obviously on tires that he'd been on for 20 plus laps. He was not at a competitive um, position to be able to challenge and protect his lead against Max, who overtook him and won the championship on the very last lap of the race, very last race of the season. And most people, I think, watching that felt like something was not right. This wasn't how this should have gone down. Unless you're a fan of Red Bull or heavily invested in Red Bull, I think most people felt that way. Uh, but nonetheless, Max Verstappen was crowned as world champion, his first in his career, and it prevented Lewis Hamilton from a record-setting eighth championship. All that said, we went into an offseason very cloudy, very murky, not sure how it was going to play out. The verdict came out of a investigation into the results of that. Michael Massey is no longer the race director of Formula One, and they have retooled their entire uh, race direction protocol system. So moving forward, there will be two race directors that will alternate race to race. Um, obviously, the race director is not just you know, the, the official, let's say the official uh, that oversees the race on race day, but goes ahead of time to the track, make sure that all of these, the, you know, regulations are being followed, make sure the marshals are all on top of everything. They run the show. It's a lot for one person. They felt that perhaps it was too much for Michael Massey. So they have now two people that will take that job on alternating. The second major innovation that they are moving forward with is a virtual race um, control room, much like VAR in soccer, or we have in the NHL, sort of the calls to Toronto, we will have a another room of officials who will be watching the race separate from the race direction. They will be able to call in and make suggestions, make advisements and come under um, sort of be, be a sounding board or an extra voice for the race director on race day, because they'll have the 
slightly removed perspective, um, perhaps that was missing. The biggest piece for me is what was unsaid. I think F1 just admitted that their championship has an asterisk, that they just admitted that because Michael Massey did not follow the protocols as written, that the result of their race and their championship last year should not have happened the way it did. That for me feels like vindication. If you're Mercedes, certainly if you're Lewis Hamilton, obviously it is no consolation for the fact that he will not be champion. Um, they're not changing the results of the race, but it kind of is an asterisk. Is it not, Braden? Uh, it's debatable and will forever be debatable. I think that there's a level of acknowledgement that the game, uh, the 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 structure of the sport needed further development and evolution and um uh, and consistency i think that that's a big thing that we've seen i mean in, in a lot of other kinds of sports hockey football i mean these are different these aren't racing sports but you don't have just one referee you don't even in baseball you yeah you have a home plate umpire but there's other elements um that are that are um refereeing or or ensuring that the uh, that the rules are upheld and I think that this was the first time we really got to see uh, the autonomy of one person's ability to uh, uh, I mean dictate how how <laughs> the championship went that's really unfortunate that that's what went down but it also builds a lot of well, so to speak to your, yeah, again, the asterisk, I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily how I think of it. Ultimately, Max won based on the set of rules that were presented. They weren't necessarily the right rules, but that that's where the sport was. That's and 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 they knew that change had to happen. So I'm, I'm glad to see that there was a restructure. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, ultimately, Michael Massey lost his job because of this situation and they needed to move on. They, they, the, the whole governing body knew that it was time to, to, to restructure. Yeah. And obviously, as you say, you know, very rarely do you have a single entity, I suppose in soccer, you have one official, but he has now VAR. He has other tools at his disposal. Obviously in F1, you know, you have the the marshals um, who are in the room. They make the decisions as to what penalty should or shouldn't be applied. That wasn't in the purview of the race director, but in this case, what happened with the race director was he's sort of the one who manages the race, the structure of when is a safety car deployed? When is it brought back in? When are certain, you know, when is it a virtual safety car or a full safety car? when do we have caution flags and la, 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 these, all these different, you know, the, the, literally the, the direction of the race organization of it. And mm-hmm. in this case, you know, they, they felt like, I, I think most people who watched that race that, you know, he made some poor decisions in the heat of the moment, very fast. You have to think about how fast the sport unfolds. It's um, the fastest sport in the world, isn't it? <laughs> very difficult to make those decisions. However, you know, perhaps they also recognized that there was some folly in having one person responsible for this. And hopefully, yeah. you know, hopefully some of these structural things, they are also going to ensure that the, um, the rules governing safety cars are clearer, more black and white, that will be that they're still currently working on that, but those rules will be in place, you know, March uh, 18th, starting the season um, that they will be clarification to those rules uh, specifically. Um, 
so anyway, that's that. We have 23 races this season. It's the biggest F1 schedule we've seen, I think, ever. Uh, if not very close to it, we had 22 last year, but prior to that, only 17 due to COVID. So, you know, these the more and more of these races, more attention. We have two American races on the schedule this year, um, which is really exciting. We have um, Miami joining the the ranks. That'll be in May. Um, Canada is scheduled for their race in Montreal, uh, the Canadian Grand Prix, which has not been contested, I believe, since 2019 due to COVID. Um, so that's scheduled for the 17th to the 19th of June. So that's exciting. They're coming back there. And then obviously they go back to Austin uh, as per usual in October and it's regular spot before going to Mexico and Brazil. But when you look at uh, the season, the schedule, we're starting to see these cars for you. What's what are you most looking forward to as we get back to racing? Uh, well, there's two things. First and foremost, the most exciting um, Netflix show available, uh, Drive to Survive Season 4 comes out day after my 11th. birthday, yeah, March 11th. 11th. Yeah. Uh, so that's something I'm incredibly excited about because I, because we're, we'll, we'll all get a really good look into what was an exciting season, especially with how everything went down in the dramatics to end the season. And hopefully we get a little bit of a look into the aftermath um, of, of that. Um, but I think that, you know, with, with, with that exact thing, that's, that's what I'm excited for. I'm excited for them to get going. And, you know, there's so much still on the line between these two competitors. And now with the competition, a lot more on an even keel or a, a salary cap era, if you will, um, it'll be very exciting to see, uh, uh, the, Max and, and Lewis go at it to, to, to find out, you know, just what the next chapter is, who, who's got it this year and who's, you know, was it, was it an asterisk? What is it, you know, like where, and I, and I'm, I'm also really, really excited for George Russell and, and what he's going to do in, in the, in the second Mercedes car. For sure. I think there's a lot more question marks right now that need to be answered. That's always exciting when you go into season. I mean, everything's a question mark when you start a new season of any sport, but you know, there are a lot of very tantalizing storylines for sure. Um, I'll throw this at you for the Netflix series. I would be very surprised if they spend too much time actually dissecting the end of that, that race. And the reason is this, if you go back and watch that series, start to finish the three seasons we've seen so far, the first heroes that they presented in season one and two was Red Bull. Red Bull has been one of the teams that gave them unfettered access, made sure they were involved because Red Bull as an organization has always understood the value of marketing, the value of um, those opportunities. And as far as the big team, do you remember Mercedes Ferrari, they weren't even featured in season one because they did not want these guys anywhere near them with the cameras. It wasn't until season two that they really realized the value of this, you know, the, the, that Netflix was adding that they kind of invested. And I wouldn't be surprised if, as we go through this fourth season of this series, that Red Bull is still kind of sold as the little underdog trying to beat big Mercedes and they get their, you know, hero's journey part for Max Verstappen. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the angle Netflix takes because it also, from a propaganda angle from F1, who is still the title producer of the series, it, it helps push the narrative that this was all above board. This is how it's supposed to be. He's a he's our rightful champion and all of that. So I'll just put that out there as my little conspiracy theory, but we'll see how it goes. Um, the second part for me, as I said, lots of exciting storylines. I agree with you, Max, or uh, pardon me, Max and Lewis have a huge un, sort of 
they, it's not finished. You know, the, the, no. this rivalry no, is just, just getting started. heated up and hopefully, yeah. hopefully these two cars are there. Big question marks about Red Bull's engine. First time we've seen a Red Bull manufactured engine. We talked about oh, yeah, that at the end Honda of the season anymore. last year. That's, That's right. a big question mark. Did they get where they needed to get to with that engine? How do these new cars actually fare in competition? We've seen them on the simulators. We're starting to see them on track. We're going to see them this upcoming week in testing. But what do these cars look like in race conditions? Do they actually have the science behind them that they are purported to have? I love how pointy they are. And will they, you know, will they perform that way? And then we have 23 races, one extra race, a lot of tracks coming back on the circuit new tracks miami we've never seen before um we're going to get back into a very competitive track in canada hopefully you know hopefully it's just a really exciting and 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 um competitive season as we've said you know i think it'll be really exciting to see what where we are you know what is it the last race this season scheduled for uh, late november um so we've got we've got a great summer upcoming with racing and racing and racing and and uh i mean i'm just very excited about it any last thoughts there before we kick off what's I your too. favorite car so far you've seen because you've got some of the liveries out i know there's still a couple uh alpha Romeo and a couple that are coming out this week obviously we'll see them when they go to testing but um well i'm a suck i'm a i mean the mclaren's my team and I'm pretty fond of their new orange. What would you call that color exactly? It's like a lighter. It's like the a turquoise. <laughs> no, it's oh, you the mean, turquoise is lighter, but the, the you orange. Mean the orange. Yeah. Well, yeah, they call it papaya. Papaya. It looks so good. That 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 car looks really good. But I also really like the new silver. What they yeah, Mercedes going arrow back to the or, silver arrow era. Yeah, they had really the black good. car under. Uh, for a couple of years as a statement about their desire to increase awareness around both black lives matter movement, but also the, um, you know, the diversity or lacking there of diversity in their sport. And they've worked on that, but you know, they're moving back towards, uh, they're moving back towards the silver arrow. That looks good. I think Ferrari looks nice. I like the darker red. Um, they've had, Did, are they going to have that green, that awful, awful lime green advertising on their car? I don't know. It was it on there? Oh, I haven't seen the. I don't think last, there's last year. Yeah, did. I don't think just, that that sponsor is still here, so I don't think that that's there. You know whose <laughs> car though? Car. I think you know whose car really has me impressed right now. What's that? Um, What's that? I really like what Aston Martin has done. They got rid of the pink because they don't have uh, BMT or BWT, whatever is their sponsor yeah. anymore. BWT. I like the neon green. It looks a little bit like a Perrier bottle, but other than that, it just looks. It's just a nice combo. You know, you've got that kind of weird teal, greeny blue, and then you've got that really sharp neon green. I really like it. So we'll see. We're going to get a good look at them all this week as they get out into uh, testing in Barcelona. And then following uh, that, they get one more. We'll get one more good look at them all. Uh, and, you know, what will be really interesting is how much these cars change between now and March, because this is really the first time they're going to get these cars out on track and get a feel for what they look like, how they feel, what they, you know, all of, all of the, the technology and the science behind them comes to roost. Now we've already seen some little bit of controversy around Mercedes who presented one car in their 
graphics package. I don't know if you saw that. The rendering photos that they put out on social media are oh, completely different than the actual car that they launched at their oh, live no. event. If you look at it, they look completely different. So it shows you already from whenever those renderings were done to now, they've already made some dramatic <laughs> changes. And we'll see how many more changes happen between February and March. First race of the season will be the 20th of March in Bahrain. And uh, we just can't wait for it to happen. Uh, thanks, Braden. Another great show for us. We'll be back next week. Happy family day. Ah, happy family there. day. Thanks for listening. Um, if you don't already subscribe, you can find this wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, you found it somewhere. You're listening to it. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Have a great week. That was Hatrick. Hatrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.